Blame it all on my roots I showed up in boots And ruined your blind tie affair The last one to know The last one to show I was the last one you thought you'd see there And I saw the surprise And the fear in his eyes When I took his glass of champagne I toasted you, said, honey, we may be thrilled, but you'll never hear me complain. Cause I got friends in all places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. Slip on down to the oasis So I've got a friend In low places Can we, uh, can we also give our fantastic interpreter a hand? I think she did just a wonderful job. <laughs> I don't know if she ever thought she'd be interpreting whiskey in church, but uh, uh, for those of you who are new, welcome. My name is Danny, and I am one of the pastors here at Kesed, and I am really grateful that you're here. We are in a series right now called Melodia, and we are, we're talking about this idea of being brothers and sisters beyond just our, our actual families, but as human beings, the Bible uses that term a lot, that we are brothers and sisters. And so we're using this, this theme of a melodia, a piece of music, to represent kind of a genre of person, a genre of worldview. And this idea that, that not everybody connects with the same piece of music. So every single uh, week of the series, we're going to open the series with a completely different genre of music, a different Melodia, and it's supposed to represent kind of a, a different worldview in the church. And, and so I'll ask you, like we do every week, how many people raise your hands? That song, that style, that's my jam, right there. Okay, uh, a lot more than than probably if I had played another country song. I see some of you like, well, I don't like country, but that song's my jam for sure. Uh, how many people be authentic? This is what it's about. How many song that song is not my jam? Okay, okay, fair enough. You're just like, eh, kind of hick town to me. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about the song, and then uh, we'll, we'll dive into uh, to how that is going to connect with us today. The song, as you probably know, is called Friends in Low Places. It's sung by Garth Brooks, an American country music artist. It was released to date, those of you who uh, remember driving around when it came out, August 6th of 1990, as the lead single from his album, No Fences. The song spent about four weeks at number one on the Hot Country Songs and won both the Academy of Country Music and Country Music Association Award for 1990 Single of the Year. 
Uh, Probably one of the most notable quotes about the song came from Brooks when he told a reporter from USA Today in October of 90, when the song was still at its chart peak, that he had received letters from high school students saying that they wanted to use Friends in Low Places as their class song only to have it opposed by their principal because the song is about escaping into drinking. Brooks agreed with the principals saying, we've had a lot of fun with that song, but it's nothing to base your values on. So that's kind of the idea and the theme that we wanna take out of the song is, is that we all relate to this low place idea that when we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves hurting, when we find ourselves in pain, often the easiest thing to do is to gather with others who are of a similar melodia, of a similar worldview, of a similar place, and medicate and kind of do the best we can to to feel something other than what we're feeling. That's what we're gonna talk talk about today. We're gonna talk about our coping mechanisms and our self-medication and how we as brothers and sisters, as we start kind of opening and reawakening and coming back together, how we may or may not realize it, but we're probably bringing a lot of pain with us because the last year has, has been hard. And it hasn't just been hard in like an individual home or an individual heart. It has been hard nationally. It has been hard globally. And so we as people have a duty to understand that we are hurting and that of course other people are hurting around us. So coping, Uh, I wanna be careful with that word because some of you think of coping as only uh, negative, as something that people who are dysfunctional do. Uh, All of us in the room are copers. I don't think that's a word, but the guy in the back who does Copenhagen's like, yes, yes, I am. I am a coper. No, not, not that kind of a coper, like an actual coper. Like all of us in the room cope somehow with something. We reach for things when we're hurting. And that's because to the degree to which we effectively manage and cope with the stress in our lives determines the degree to which we are healthy. And so we are always looking for equilibrium. And so if we feel this deep pain inside our lives, oftentimes we will turn and begin to have a deep sense of medication in some other way. And to the degree that we're aware of that and so can do it in a healthy way is to the level of health in our lives. There are all sorts of psychological studies. So you can actually go and research this on your own that tie people who've gone through trauma and don't cope well have shorter life expectancies actually cuts years off your life when you start to cope uh, in these big and negative ways. So to think that you don't cope is is actually just a sign of how you cope. You pretend, you're a pretender. That's one of the things we're gonna talk about today. People who just, there is no pain, there is no problem, like life is life, it is what it is, I'm just gonna make it to the end and hope I die and don't burden anybody. That's just a form of coping. If we turn to unhealthy behaviors to cope with the stress, our physical and emotional health will suffer every single time. It's not just our physical bodies, it's our emotional bodies that oftentimes pay the biggest price because when we turn to things that begin to numb us, begin to shut down how we feel, then what we have to realize, this is very important, there was an illustration taught a while ago, it's like a set of blinds that cross a window. Whenever we're hurting and we pull that, that string in order to, to kind of close that, that pain and close that hurt, we also close the level of joy and the level of hope and the level of, of happiness that we feel for our emotions live on a spectrum and they're tied to one another. So when you go to low places and you live in low places and you numb at low places, you also numb your high places. 
It's just how it works. Because feeling that intense, even when it's hurtful, is important for your heart and your body. We're gonna talk about that. But when you decide, no, I'm not gonna feel that level of intensity, then you also, when great things happen, you go, oh, I can't, this is too much. This is too much joy, too much happiness. It sounds weird, but I've seen it many, many times. People who've numbed for years and years and years and, and then their kids get married and they have grandkids and they don't even know how to engage because it's so beautiful and so, so happy and it, it's gonna probably go away and I just, I just don't know if I can really be a part because it's just too much. And it looks like they're just being distant or, or indifferent when really they've just numbed in the low places so long, they now numb in the beautiful places and the high places. We are people built to feel. And that's a scary thing, but it's true. If you were to Google right now how to relieve stress in your life, almost 70 million results would come up, most of them not very helpful. This is because the problem is that in our I just wanna fix it and make it go away mentality, we too often treat the symptom, but not the cause. We attempt to compartmentalize stress when in reality, it affects our whole person and that's because that's the viewpoint by which we see the world. We see the world as people who have it and people who don't, people who get it and people who don't. And so everything in our lives is compartmentalized between when I'm in a season of doing well and when I'm in a season of doing poorly. But people oftentimes talk to me like, man, that year was the best year of my life and this year is the worst year of my life and I'm hoping next year is gonna be the best year of my life. It's always these huge extremes. It's never just like, I was alive this year. And I felt it all, and I learned some stuff, and I messed up a bit. Like, nobody does that. I don't do that, and I'm telling you that's how it should be done. Like, how are you? I'm, I'm well. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm struggling. I'm striving. It's not all this compartmentalized kind of space, but when we live our lives like the world tells us, then we perform inside these boxes. And so suddenly we find ourselves addicted to things that keep us in the box of the highest level of survivable feelings. Not too high, not too low, just kind of somewhere numb in the middle. When you can start seeing this about other people, it'll lead to what you should see about yourself. I read this statement recently that every addiction on planet earth is an attempt to move from feeling bad to feeling good. It's an attempt to escape. It's an attempt to not face and to avoid. And oftentimes, it's, it's, really, it's a really lonely place that these people find themselves in. Now, I wanna be, again, thoughtful that you don't think if you have an addiction, I'm only talking to you. I would argue that everybody in this room has a level of addiction to something. Now, we all know the obvious ones. These are the ones that get talked about the most, the ones that even people who are addicted to these ones actually own fairly often. They're ones like alcohol, anger, drugs, pornography, fear, food, cutting. These are the kinds of behavior that happen that most people, once they confess they have these sorts of behaviors, say, yeah, I, I shouldn't do that. I don't think I've ever sat with a person who was like, well, I get drunk like three times a week, but like, so what? Like, that's, that's good, right? That's like, that's a good thing. Like people know, they, they, they own it and they kind of know that that's probably not how they should live. And most other people around them see it and are like, wow, that person's life is, is out of control. But, but it's not really that easy. See, all of 
the addictions that we face, they're all kind of like doorways. I'll put up an image. They're all like doorways. And when we find ourselves feeling this overwhelming emotion, we need to leave the room we're in, the room of ourself, and escape into another one. And so these clearly marked doorways are designed to distract us from all the negative feelings we're experiencing. And here's the thing I want to give credit to everybody in the room. They work. Like they really work. You can survive a, a, a pretty uh, neutral kind of, kind of numb life being addicted in these different areas. These are what people are, are known as when they're functioning addicts. Functioning addicts are people that, that like they, they get just enough of a bump to get through the day and they have just enough of a lower to get themselves to sleep. And, and as long as you don't trigger them in the right way, they're not really that ragey, but you definitely don't want to step into this section with them because they'll lose their minds. And, and so people just sort of end up building a kind of a, a life of, of, well, protection for themselves when they're around those people. And those people look at those other people like they just don't know the trauma they've been through and they just enter in and out of these doors. These are dangerous doorways and they lead to some of the lowest places a person can find oneself within. And those are the places where you don't feel anything at all. So to everybody in the room who's wrestling or everybody watching online with, with one of those, the big seven or so, I just want you to know that, that those actually in some ways might be an easier style of coping than the other ones I'm gonna talk about because you can walk into a place, a recovery group, a church, and you can say, these are the things I'm wrestling with. And there are programs, there are places that people can go and unpack and, and untangle that stuff because it's all just coping mechanisms around the pain that you're feeling. And those low places that have hidden you for so long, that kind of behavior is also hiding your high places. And there is a beautiful life out there for you to live, but you're gonna have to stop. You're gonna have to be authentic about what it is you're doing and your behavior. And you're gonna have to ask for help. Now, I recognize I, as a speaker, just kind of broke one of my own imaginary rules, which is giving a sermon only to like 10 or 15% of the audience. But that's not actually what happened. I just am talking to the people who know they're coping and whose addictions I laid out. I'm coming for the rest of you right now. <laughs> Church is full of people who cope. As a matter of fact, it, it, it's kind of, what we're about, and I'll explain more about that in just a moment. See, we understand as Christ followers, or if you're someone who's just spiritually seeking and you're in the room and you're like, I know I'm here for something, or is this what I'm here for, or what's going on? I think we understand as human beings, especially people that grew up in church, that we're lacking, that we're, that we're missing some pieces. I, I preach all the time, it's become just sort of a mantra around here that God is holy because he's whole, and I am unholy because I am unwhole. I am missing pieces that, that I should have, and God is meeting me to refill in my pieces. But in the meantime, what unholy people do is they try their best to fill those broken and missing pieces in their lives with all sorts of coping mechanisms. And if you're any good at church at all, you'll just do it with the ones that everybody else is doing it with, because who's gonna call out stuff in your life if they're doing it themselves? And we build buildings around these coping mechanisms. How about people-pleasing? People who, who, can't, who can't share anything that would disappoint anybody. They're just worried about what everybody thinks. This is directly tied to their story, to their trauma, to their pain. But now they function like this sort of 
Plato-like person that just becomes whoever they're with and however they're behaving? How about hiding who I am altogether, my opinions, my thoughts, my concerns? How about affirming other people's opinions to their face, but then when they leave, whether internally like a good Christian or externally like, like a gossip, but still kind of the same thing, we're going, I can't stand that person, what an idiot. But to their face, I mean, best friends, buds. How about seeking to be the center of attention? Never being able to sit in the margin or the periphery. Always having to have somebody talk about you, even if what they're talking about is your drama. Some people's feelings got hurt. How about being compulsive? In a Christian, Christian's words, when we church stuff up, this is called being adventurous. That's how we do that one. What do you mean you lost your job? Well, I just felt the Lord's call upon my life. And I thought I'd go on a road trip but my mom didn't wanna give me her car or her credit card, so now I don't know what I'm gonna do. The Holy Spirit prompted, he'll provide a way. And I'm like, uh, no, he won't. Like that's, that's called being compulsive, not adventurous. We could do a whole series just on all the Christian words people use to do dysfunctional things. That's another series that we'll, that we'll get into. How about, how about this is a good one, not looking at all at yourself and so diving in to rescue other people so that you look like you've got it together while you help other people with the same problem you have, but you don't disclose it. And you tell them, you gotta be vulnerable. You gotta reach out. You gotta help people. I'm here for you. And the more they share and the more they share, yes, you're helping, but really what's going on is inside, you're going, oh, I feel better. I'm doing something for somebody, even though I wrestle with all that same stuff. I know, I know. I got, there's about 25% left who are still waiting. I'm coming. How about trying to do good all the time, trying harder to do more or get everything just right? Meaning, how about you have this Christian suit you put on and it's not just on Sunday mornings. You're not one of those people because you've been, that's been preached away. Your suit is on 24 seven, like a Stepford person. Just constantly like, how are you? Life is good. I'm really struggling. You're not fake that you have highs and lows, but you're just, not really uh, too upset about it. Like it doesn't make any sense. Did that person just drive by and hack off part of your arm? They sure did, bummer. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's crazy to me. And, and oftentimes I'll meet with these people and they try to, they think it's gonna impress me that they're not frustrated with God, with the church, with the world. Like everything's just sort of like, I'm bleeding a bit. And I'm like, well, I would be so upset. Did you at least go find your arm? God will find my arm, Danny. And I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. How about, how about being controlling or manipulative? I wrestled with this one for a while. As a, it took me a while to figure out where it was tied in my story, but as a kid who had cancer, uh, I was always told where I had to be when and how long I had to stay in the bed and what sort of medication I had to take. And I got to a point, point where I just, I just didn't wanna be controlled anymore by anybody. I didn't need to control anybody else but you certainly weren't gonna control me. And that even meant if you were gonna do good things for me. Danny, we wanna bless you. We wanna send your and wife, you and your wife to the beach for a weekend. You're not gonna do that for me. I'm not gonna owe you anything. And Aaron's like, what, the beach? And I'm like, Aaron, we don't know what's going on here. We don't know what they're about. 
It took me a long time to figure out that, that I, uh, I had some control issues. How about another one that Danny's really good at? Distracting with humor. Yep. A bunch of people in the room are like, oh, there it is. Because you're like, because I'm so hilarious when I'm hurting. It's true, right? I mean, I'll tell you what, if you want to see me the most on point, you get me in front of a funeral. I'm, I just, and, and it's always appropriate, but it's because I'm so hurting that I'm like, I think we should probably laugh. When really inside, I'm just gushing with all sorts of emotion. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm up there doing stand-up comedy. And people are always like, best funeral I've ever been to. I, I left feeling so much better. And I'm like, I didn't. Like, I, how about last one? And this one should be fairly universal. How about this when you're feeling stress? Being hyper-religious. Like, all the time putting a spiritual twist on everything. All the time. Telling people all the time that, that it's either, well, that's God's will or don't worry, God's fully in control. Or, and I'm not saying that these things aren't true or that they're true. I'm just saying you might wanna read the room a little bit. How about people who blame everything on Satan? Everything. I met with somebody one time and they listed all this dysfunctional uh, behavior, all these things that, that were ways in which they were coping. And by the end, they were like, ah, I feel a lot better. And I was like, okay. And they go, I mean, sometimes you just gotta be honest about the way Satan's working in your life. And I was this close to going, uh, Noah, that's you, Linda. That's you. That's not Satan. I mean, there might be a page in this book that, that, that he messed with a little bit, but, but don't give Satan too much credit for your dysfunction because then you're just powerless to do anything about it. And he's sitting back going, oh, I'll put more time into these people versus this person because they give me all the credit all the time anyways. They're just a hot mess. We are people who cope. And even when we do good works, we cope. We film our coping. We promote our coping. We act like, oh, you caught me. Oh, I had no idea. What? And then, on the, then we're watching how many likes and how many, uh, we, just, we feed it and feed it and feed it. We cope. And part of it is because we're built that way. One of the things you've got to do if you want to, to search how you cope is sit with people that know you and ask them. Don't, don't ask them through one of these ways like, listen, if you have older kids like mine, dad wants to ask you how he's been a great dad and then how he could have been a greater dad. Because <laughs> your kids are like, uh, okay. Uh, no, like, like if you just really want to hand over a little bit of power, sit with a 17-year-old daughter and just be honest, like, hey, how did I do okay? And how did I just mess you up? My children have decided that uh, since I'm opening these kinds of dialogues, that they were gonna take full advantage of those sorts of illustrations to let me know lately just how badly I've messed them up. And at first it was really hard, but it ended up being really good. I, it's now kind of become a theme in our life that dad before therapy, which was about five years ago, uh, was old dad and dad after therapy was new dad. So now when my daughter, Elena, who's very empathic, very connected, wants to share with me something, she'll come in and she'll sit down next to me. She's like, dad, I need to talk to you. And I'll prepare like, cause I want to be present. And I'm like, okay, okay. And she's like, mm -mm, mm -mm, I'm not feeling you right now. 
Because <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just going through the motions. If I'm being honest. I'm just going through the motions. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, is this old dad or is this new dad? Like, what dad is this? Because I, I invited her into that story. And that, that, that verb, that's the theme of the talk. And so I now have to recognize that, that it isn't old dad, new dad, Danny has arrived. It's, it's old dad into new dad, probably back into old dad, back into new dad, back into old dad. It's frankly, it's just a wear dad is what it is. That I cope, that I pretend, that I use humor to get out of situations that sometimes you, you mix all three. I remember a few years ago, I was uh, driving and uh, I got pulled over by a lady police officer because I was going just a little bit too fast. My wife was with me. Uh, and the lady police officer said, you know why I pulled you over? And I lied. I said, I have no idea why you pulled me over. I do know that I'm on my way to church, though, to preach a sermon. <laughs> so I lied. I wasn't even going to church, right? It was like a Tuesday afternoon. But, you know, it was, it was just, you know, it's like when you get your Bible out and slap it on top of your, you know, your, like, what? I don't know. I think my, you know where my license is? It's probably being used as a bookmarker next to Psalm 23. Hold on just a second. Let me get it out. Here you go. She wasn't having none of it, gave me a ticket, and my wife was disgusted. Because you, what happens is you just begin to cope, right? You're trying to figure it out. You have bad feelings. I don't want a ticket. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to deal with this right now. And boom, humor, boom, line, boom, uh, rel religiosity, boom. All these things start happening. And then next thing you know, shame. And then you're like, well, I'm just terrible. I need to go find some other low-place, terrible people. And they come in the room and they're like, come on in. What'd you do terrible today? We accept you as you are. I've had so many people tell me they have deeper and more connected friendships at the bar than they do the church. And this is why. Because you'll be like, I lied. I wasn't even going to church. I, and they're like, oh man, totally. I like got in a fight the other day with my boss. And then I told him what I thought about him and his kids. I don't know why I did it. But anyways, round on me. And everybody's like, okay, I guess this is just the world we live in. And so you just numb up and go back and do it all again. So how do we stop it? How do we, how do we make this something that starts to trend towards health? How do we recognize we're all copers, okay? And we, we wanna dive into this part of our story, but... It, it can be scary and it can be difficult. So how do we do it? This is uh, the illustration that I wanna give you. What you're gonna do is imagine first off in your brain that you're sitting at a table, a table that you don't normally like to sit at. This table will represent uh, kind of the room that these doors okay, are in. And at this table, you're gonna decide to play the pain game. You're gonna be authentic that you don't wanna sit at this table, you don't wanna sit at this room and you'd much rather bust through those doors. But that's not what you're gonna do because you wanna be somebody who is honest about the fact they're coping. I don't think you want to be here. I just think you, you should try to be here because what you're doing right now is not working anyways. So let's give this a shot. See if God knows what he's talking about. So you sit at the table and what you do then is, I'll put this on the screen, you dismiss all the other players and sit down at the table with just you and your pain. You dismiss all the excuses. You dismiss all the addictions. They don't go away. You just dismiss them from the table. They just don't get to sit there anymore. And you start to think about pain a little bit differently. First, you start to own the fact that you've been hurt, that you're, that you're someone who's hurting right now. 
And so you let your pain sit at the table. And maybe if it's the, a big giant black wall, it's a little tiny crack of, 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 of red light that's coming through the wall to kind of to kind of pierce into your soul. And it's, it's very small. It's not gonna flood you. You're not gonna, it's not gonna destroy you. It's just recognizing, okay, I hurt. I do hurt. This pretending that I do, it, it's not real. And I mean, it's not every day and I'm, and I'm not out there just, you know, just spinning in my own muck. No, I, but, but I do hurt. I do hurt. You're right. Okay. And, and if you hurt, there has to be a reason you hurt. And a lot of times, especially early in your life, you hurt because someone else hurt you. That's who gets to scoot up next to the table. Not a person, but the idea. So now at the table is your hurt, and at the table is what hurt you. And this is where it gets sticky and a lot of people get up and leave, but you're not going to today. You hurt, people have hurt me, and you've hurt other people. And you sit in that fourth chair just kind of being all that stuff. You're hurt, the hurt that's been done to you, and the hurt you've caused other people. And you feel it. Again, small hole. You just feel it. And you're not specific with it. You're not being overwhelmed by the stuff you've done or what's been done to you or even just the fact you hurt. You're just not leaving the room. And you sit in the room and you feel it, fully entering into it and allowing it to fully enter into you. This space that, that you're feeling right now, this is the space of human experience, of human spirituality, where you're not, you're not compartmentalizing one direction or the other. Well, I wanna talk all about people who've hurt me. Or I wanna talk about how much pain I have and how much I'm numbing it. Or I wanna talk about all the people I've hurt. You're just sitting at the table with all of yourself and all of the pain and all of the coping, all sitting outside the tables and all those doors, all those possible exits, all those places you could go, all of them are present all at the same time. And you feel it. And you have a sense of, I could do that. I could do this. I could get up and leave. You could, but you're not going to. You're just gonna sit at that table and you're gonna feel it. This is the place and the reason why David in the Bible was who he was and why he was so powerful. It wasn't because he was some anointed child, which he was. It wasn't because he was a king, which he was. It wasn't because he was a great warrior, which he was. God had lots of those people at that time. But the thing David did different than everybody else was he sat in the room with it all the addictions, the coping, the people he hurt, his own pain, the pain that, that other people have cost him. He sat with it all and then he wrote. And these are the words he came up with from, place, from this place right here. Hear the pain in this man as he writes in Psalm 102, hear my cry, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Listen to, to the description right here of himself. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl in the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. 
All the day my enemies taunt me, those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like the grass. There's more in that particular book. Over and over and over and over again, David sat at the table. Over and over and over again, he was honest with everything that he was. And then he would go and be addicted. And then he would cope. And then he would hurt people. And then he would be fake about not hurting at all. And then he would, he would you know, say nobody hurt him when everybody hurt him. And then he'd say everybody hurt him when really nobody hurt him. And he, he was this constant moving human example. And then these places would come out of his heart that he would describe that would be written down forever and inviting you and I in to our full experience of the beauty and the pain, the low places and the high places. This is why God used him like he did because there's something so incredibly special about people who don't play with all the rest of the stuff, but instead decide that the pain game is the only way that they are going to be able to be authentic. But not playing it in an unhealthy way, playing it in a true and honest way of great need and purpose. I'll read for you a blind quote of a powerful person. Because I think we misunderstand power because of the way we cope. We think that it means not needing anything. We think that it means not doing anything wrong. That has nothing to do with power. Power is simply being able to sit in the full presence of who you are, which is what we just described you can do if you can sit at the table and be authentic with everything in the room and not blame everybody who hurt you or blame all the victims that you hurt or pretend there is no pain or be addicted or pull back in the coping, whatever it is, just a straight up honest version of where you are right now. Listen to this quote. This is what it says. In my heart, there is no faith, no love, no trust. There is so much pain, the pain of longing, the pain of not being wanted. I want God with all the powers of my soul. And yet there between us is a terrible separation. Brutal. Who would say such a thing? How would anybody be able to recover from that kind of statement leaking out? How would they ever have an impact or be healthy having that sort of worldview? How could that be? They certainly wouldn't help themselves and therefore they couldn't help anybody else. And yet, the person who said that was Mother Teresa. Yeah. Like gentle, tiny, aged, renowned, respected, honest, vulnerable Mother Teresa. One of the most powerful people, some have said, that has lived in our known time. Somebody who saw people around her in great need, who gave up all the things that she could have possibly been distracted by, and yet still found herself coping with all the things written in that stuff. My heart hurts. I'm angry. I'm upset. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is a true and authentic example, again, like David, of what it means to just own your space. And when you can own your space like she did inside this intimate relationship that she had 
where she could with great clarity express her deep suffering and anguish, nothing held back, no games being played, all of her and all of him sitting at the table. Then she could enter into the pain of other people's lives. Then she could walk into other people's stories. This is probably the biggest problem we have right now within a community coming back together is that people don't realize most of people's responses right now are coming from their pain. So when you share as well thought, as, as articulate, or even as loving as you can about your disagreement with another person, it makes no difference because they're not really there to conversate. They're just there to try and get rid of the hurt. And the only way that you can enter into another person's pain and another person's story and another person's coping, the only way you can walk up alongside that is by first owning your own pain is by first trying to be authentic that you too do that behavior, that you hurt, that you've been hurt by people and that you've hurt other people. Then you can walk into any room full of pain and generally smell out where and when and why and how God put you in that space. Because you walk into another person's pain gallery with the doors and the table and the coping all around the table and then you try to scoot up to their table to help them but you don't even know where you are, you just cause more pain. You're just another part of their dysfunctional story. Mother Teresa figured out that only through the entering of my own pain will I be allowed to enter into the pain of another. This leads us to our one another verse that I think has been misused time and time again. And I hope to break it over your head today so that it never happens after this. It's a very simple verse. It's Galatians 6.2. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We think that to bear another person's burdens means to come alongside and, and, and maybe help pay their rent or maybe uh, put them up in our house or maybe uh, give them some, some things that they need and kind of replace the pain they're feeling with us so we can sacrificially take on some of those needs. And then we, 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 we feel good, but then we feel really disappointed when it never you know, comes to fruition and health in their life because it really never does. I've done all those things. They don't get better generally because they're stuck in their own pain coping cycle and you weren't aware enough of your own cycle and your savior mentality and all the other stuff church has taught us. And so we just end up in this disappointing cycle of helping and being hurt and taken advantage of. And I can't believe you can't, why can't you figure this out? Why are you helping me this way? And all of a sudden brotherhood and sisterhood is torn because nobody's actually stopped to own their pain. This bear one another's burdens, actually Garth got it right in this particular part. We are supposed to enter into people's low places. We're supposed to enter into their stories and we're supposed to come alongside them by, let's imagine that we put an arm of theirs over our shoulders and we are supposed to bear their burdens and bear them up. We are supposed to be those kind of friends, but not friends who just participate with them in the pain game. We are supposed to be friends who help them not numb, and so instead, I'll read this, what we all need are friends who choose to come alongside and bear the burden of what we're feeling with us. Give us additional strength to feel the full brunt of the pain happening inside our lives. Here's what we're supposed to do. Put a person's arm over our shoulder. Hopefully they have another friend putting the arm over their shoulder. The person's pain comes and we hold them up so they can feel the full brunt of that pain. We bear them up. 
while they face all of the feelings and all of the experiences and even maybe all of the consequences and we bear them up and we hold them up and they say, let me go, I'm hurting, let me go, I wanna numb, let me go and we stay in it with them and we say, nope, nope, you gotta feel this. You gotta feel this. But we, we will ourselves crumple to the ground if we first haven't felt our own pain. If we haven't first been bore up, if we at first haven't felt the full brunt of our own prejudice, our own dysfunction, our own, our own, our own uh, warped worldviews, which we all have, by the way. Nobody in this room knows exactly what to do with anything. But until we can sit inside our own pain, feel that our own hurt, feel who's hurt us, recognize who we've hurt, we definitely can't bear another person who's going through that as they're kicking and screaming and letting us let know what they think about us and our mom and everything else and your church. And, but boy, I'll tell you what, when you've already bore that pain and someone comes up, they're like, this is what I think of you. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I thought that of myself too for a while. This is what I think of your God. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, Mother Teresa and David has some choice words to say to God. This is what I think of this life. Yeah, I get it. So what are you gonna do about it? You're gonna go numb, gonna go cope? You can't ask those questions and sit in that space till you've done it yourself. This is one reason I think church has not been a very safe place for people because we've allowed a lot of this behavior to go on for a long time. We haven't done our work. We haven't felt our feelings. We haven't been honest with God like David and Mother Teresa. We haven't told him all the ways he's messed it up. You might say offensive, and I might say judgmental. You might say arrogant, and I might say true. <laughs> Let's kill the cycle right there. I'm all the things you think I am and more. And you're all the things I think you are and more. So why don't we all just set down all the things we think and exchange it for what God says so that we can bear one another up, so that we can love, so that we can trust, so that we can recover, so that we can find health and wholeness, but it's not going to happen until you do your work. It's not going to happen. And instead, you're going to cope and you're going to numb and you're going to keep returning, the Bible says, to that same vomit over and over and over that never satisfies and never heals. Today, in this space, I want to give you a chance to reflect on that. I wanna let you know that this place that you're sitting in, this very human place right now where you wanna help people, but you know you gotta help yourself first and you know you can't, so that means, shoot, the Holy Spirit must have to do some work in you. I wanna give you a chance to, to sit at that table today because this is what the gospel is about. Jesus Christ himself, he is the one that brought the burden-bearing love. That's who he is. That's the example I gave you. Now it's us for a brother and a sister because ultimately it was Jesus on the cross. Jesus didn't come to replace all the, uh, the, the broken stuff in your life. Jesus didn't come to be an excuse for all the mistakes you've made. Jesus came to say that no matter what pain you're feeling, he will bear that burden with you and therefore you will never, never crumble into, into nothing. That you will survive because of Jesus but not because he somehow made all your feelings better. He's not a magician. He's a best friend. And he wants to hold you up and show you how you can survive feeling everything you're supposed to. And then in turn, he wants you to help others 
feel what they're supposed to. I think it's called the gospel, I'm pretty sure. I think it's called the good news. I think it's what the message of Christ is all about. It's all about that burden-bearing love. As a matter of fact, it says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus sees us in the midst of our worst. He then enters into our very lowest places. He bears our burdens alongside us for he is the healthy and holy doorway. He is the greatest and only holy coping mechanism you and I have. And so slowly you can get up from that table and you can leave the room you're at. And you can, according to the Bible, walk through that door that he has opened and you can be transformed into a new place with new eyes and new cares and new priorities. There can be an old you and a new you that probably returns to the old you so that he can get back to the new you. And it's all kinds of messy and muddy and imperfect and awesome. But you've got to feel your feelings. You've got to see the other doors are there. You've got to know about the way you've been hurt, hurt others and are currently hurting. And you've got to choose to answer the door of Christ. You've got to hear his knocking and you've got to reveal. You've got to reveal your vulnerability and your heart and your story. This is the gospel message. This is the cross. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to have our worship team come out and they are going to play a song over you. And when you walked in, you got these little communion cups. And if you've never taken communion, this is for people who are Christ followers. Uh, if you're at home streaming with us, you can, uh, this is a, with whatever you have and wherever you are communion. So grab some water, grab a cracker, piece of bread out of your pantry, whatever it is. The cracker or the bread or the whatever you found in your pa pantry represents the broken body of Christ, the juice or the Kool-Aid or the water, whatever it is, represents the blood of Christ. And the idea of communion is that you are connecting. The idea of communion is that you are uh, asking for revelation, that you are moving in such a way that you want God to point out some of the things you need to feel so that he can replace everything else at the table with his presence. So open your little communion cup and I'm gonna read over us. Luke 22 verse 19 says, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup and after they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Let's prepare for a moment. Lord, we're just gonna sit and open ourselves up. We don't have any agenda. We don't have any pre-rehearsed responses. We just are in a space right now, in a room with all that we are, with our current hurt, with the hurt that's been done to us, with the hurt we've caused other people. We wanna be people, Lord, who bear one another up, but we don't wanna bear them up 
to more and more negative coping. We wanna bear them up to feel their full feelings, but we can't do that, God, till we feel all of our feelings. And we can't, we can't be shored up. We won't survive it without you. We'll be overwhelmed and overcome. We'll fade away. God, we don't wanna fade away. And so would you, would you meet us in this room right now with your incredible presence, would you reveal who you are and why you are and where you are? Would you grab us? Would you hold us? Would you give us just a, a pinch of your love as we feel, Lord, what it means to be alive, to be now? Thank you for the stories you're writing with every life in this room, for the futures you are about to tell. Thank you for the harmony you're bringing with the melodias music and with the blessing we just lift this time to you now amen worthy is the lamb who was slain and holy holy is he Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Singing worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain, and holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Would you stand and sing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come.
awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous mystery. Sing it again. Jesus, your name is power, it's breath and living water, such a marvelous mystery. Come.